You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how a purple life plans to retire at 30 years old and only spend $18,000 a year. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Super excited to have you listening in this episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. As always, excited to bring on this week's guest, A Purple Life. You'll hear so much more about her as we go through the interview. You hear her talk. One thing I'll note is that A Purple Life is anonymous. And it's interesting because A Purple Life on her blog, she is so transparent about her numbers. Like she literally goes through every single dollar that she spends, how much she earns. And I'm always just appreciative of people who can do that. And that's a part of being anonymous. I feel like part of it is when you can be anonymous, you can really actually lay so much more out on the table. So I applaud uh, Purple Life for coming on the show and being able to like show this other side, right, of financial independence. So typically, we're talking about how you can reach your financial freedom and independence goals. Now, Purple Life has an amazing story because she's doing this by 30 years old. She plans to do this. You'll hear more about it. But essentially, like at 30 years old, she wants to retire early. What does that take? And you'll hear that over time, she has focused on increasing her income. She also doesn't spend a lot. So in comparison for me, where I'm like, I don't know how I can do it on 18000 a Purple Life is living a wonderful life on 18000 And so she's going to talk about how she's doing that. And then again, I love being able to showcase things like this. Because even if you think that you don't want to spend that much or that little, it allows you to really see what other people are doing, how they are able to reach their dreams and what's possible. Okay, before we get into the episode, I just want to say if you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts, so if you have an Apple phone, that's that purple app on your phone. It's a P and it's purple. And if you already listen to this and you know like what Apple Podcast is, you're like, okay, Jamila, I get it. But I will tell you, there are some people right now who are actually listening on their iPhone that have no clue that they're either listening into Apple Podcasts or that they can actually listen to this podcast in Apple Podcasts. I met someone at a, not met, I knew this person. I met them at the baby shower again. I haven't seen them in a while. And they were like, oh, I was listening to a podcast you were on, but I was listening to it on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, I have a podcast myself. And they're like, okay, cool. I'll write it down. And so they were putting it in their notes section. And I was like, wait, 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 you have an Apple phone. Like just go to the, your purple app and, you know, subscribe and look at it. And they were like, what, what is that? And so I literally like took their phone <laughs> and directed them to the purple app on their iPhone that said podcast, clicked on it, typed in journey to launch. He saw it, clicked on it. And then he was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had this on my phone. So this is why I often say, and I, I and in each episode, I try to kind of educate people about podcasts because you'd be surprised. Like the fact that you're listening to this is huge because there's actually a lot of people who don't even know what a podcast is. And as you can see, even if you listen to podcasts, you might not always know the best way to listen. So if you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts, the purple app on your phone, I appreciate you. Rate, review, and subscribe in Apple Podcasts. So I review and read every podcast review that's left in Apple Podcasts. So I appreciate if you do that. It helps 
with my ratings and just, you know, giving me feedback. I love seeing it. Keeps me going. And then, of course, listen, if you don't have Apple phone, totally fine. You can listen to this on Android. You can listen to this on YouTube. You can listen to this on the website. So this particular episode is 126. So if you want to go to the website and get the links of the things that I discussed with Purple Life, we'll reference some of her blog posts. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 126. And then in wherever you listen to this, it might have a note section. You can also get the link to click there. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media. I am Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I always love connecting and talking with you. Make sure you're also on my email list. So on my email list, I basically share a lot what's going on behind the scenes with Journey to Launch. Oftentimes, you'll get opportunities that you don't really hear anywhere else. And then you'll hear it before even podcast listeners, because sometimes it takes me a while for when I record something to get it out to you. But the email list, I send out an email every week. You are on the know. You are in the know of everything that's going on. So you can join the email list by going to journeytolaunch.com slash join. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into this amazing conversation with a purple life. Hey, Journeyers, bringing you another dynamic, insightful, and amazing, I know it hasn't happened yet, but it will be, I can just tell, conversation with a purple life. Hey. Hi, so happy to be here. So so what should I call you? You can call me purple. Purple, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can't tell by a purple life, her hair is purple, her blog is apurplelife.com. And you're anonymous, and we're going to keep it that way. But I love your blog and what you share, which essentially is your journey to reach financial independence at such a young age, right? So what's how old are you? And what are you looking to reach financial independence by? I'm currently 29. And I'm hoping to reach it next year at 30. Wow, right? So I was like, okay, we got to get her on. And what I do love about your story is that, and it's so crazy, I guess this is a part of being anonymous is when you are anonymous, you can really like share everything, I think, like, because you don't have to put your face out there. So it allows you to be more open. And some people can do that with their face and their name and all that. But I find that like, if I was just to be anonymous online right now, like I'd probably share so much more about my finances, about my life. And then that allows people to really connect because they see the numbers, they see the journey. And so I I find that people want more people to come out, but it's hard to be as transparent for just privacy reasons and protection and all that stuff, you know? I completely agree. And it really is, even though a lot of my friends and family read my blog, it is still freeing that it's not necessarily connected to myself, my name, my history, and I can just be real. Yeah, yeah. So with being real, one of the things that I find about your story intriguing is one, you are a black woman, right? Like on this journey and that you're doing this so young. The way you're going about it is aggressively saving and investing, but you're using your spending. So I would say frugality more as your lever to reach it faster. And so you spend about $18,000 a year, right? Correct. (laughs) So, okay. We have to go into that because in my mind, right? Like I know I have like, I have a lot of other things happening with the kids and living in New York city and all these things, right? In my mind, like spending $18,000 a year and maybe for someone else, it's like, wow, like how, you know? And so would you mind just breaking out what that means. And then we can talk about how that directly correlates into why you're able to reach financial independence so early. Happy to. So just to level set, I did used to live in New York for four years. So I did not spend $18,000 when I lived in Manhattan. 
at all. <laughs> okay. I um, did not track my spending as closely, but looking back in my uh, budget items, it looks like I spent around 35K when I did live there. Ah, okay. So the main lever, as you said, that I pulled was um, when my partner and I realized that we wanted to get out of Manhattan, mostly for the rent, because it is challenging. Um, we made a spreadsheet of where we might want to go. And one of the items on there was cost of living versus salary. And we were shocked to discover that Seattle has about half the cost of living of New York, but the same salaries. So we were able to actually increase our standard of living by moving out here, but for half the cost. So in New York, we were living in a tiny 200 usable square foot studio in the financial district. And now we have a gorgeous one bedroom top floor corner unit with views of the Space Needle um, for half of that. So that's kind of how I approached the budget. I think I'm even happier now um, spending this quote unquote little and I haven't sacrificed anything for it. I love that you did like just bring up the fact that you looked for somewhere, like you consciously looked for somewhere you can move that you could still earn the same amount of money, but spend less. So can I ask what type of field like you're in? Yes, I'm in marketing. Marketing. And so you stayed with the same company or you changed companies? I changed companies. I actually applied online to a company in Seattle while I still lived in New York and shockingly heard back from them. Previously, all my jobs were from networking. So that was fortuitous. Right, right. And you do mention a partner. I do want to note, and we're getting to this a little later, that like this is your, like you, you guys keep your expenses totally separate. Your journey to FI is separate from his. It's important to note just because like all the money that you earn and spend is like really you. So while you have a partner, it's like literally, it's based on like your expenditures and basically your own. Correct. Yes. All of my numbers are just mine. Um, I know that some, a lot of bloggers, when they're talking about themselves and them, their partner and their net worth, they mean collectively. So that is a great note. Um, we do have separate finances, separate goals, but we're in this life together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So can we just go back to the $18,000 a year? And can you just walk us through, right? So, right, you're you're single. Um, it's just you that's spending this 18000 But can you just break down uh, the bigger categories that you're spending in? Sure. Happy to. And also just a caveat, the way I actually built my budget, I guess it's kind of an anti-budget. So I didn't throw out random numbers that I wanted to hit. Instead, I looked back at my past year um, after we lived in Seattle for a year, saw what I spent monthly on average. And then I just said, that's my budget. So this isn't based on me trying to deprive myself. <laughs> but my big categories, so rent is my biggest one. Um, it's about Eight fifty a month on average, including rental insurance for the year. Um, I have my phone through Republic Wireless. That's twenty five bucks a month. Actually, it's a little less this year because they introduced annual plans. Very exciting. <laughs> Our internet twenty five bucks. Electricity twenty. We have to pay for water and sewer and gas altogether. That's like thirty five bucks a month. Groceries. I spent on average one hundred and twenty five dollars a month, even though I eat keto which involves a lot of meat, but we, we buy a lot on sale. We buy in bulk, we freeze it. And then we just have like salmon and steak almost every night. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. wow. mm -hmm. <laughs> um, eating out, I budget about 50 bucks a month, which uh, I go to a lot of happy hours. So I don't just go out like once and uh, that's all I'm allowed to do or anything. I um, still go out with friends very often, but just like to find those little deals where I get more bang for my buck. I actually just did a 100-day alcohol-free challenge, but prior to that, my alcohol budget was 50 bucks a month. 
Um, and then I have a party budget, which includes brings over a bottle of wine or snacks to a friend's party. So those are the high level items. And then obviously I have separate vacation spending and travel. Um, I am into travel rewards. So that cuts down on that a little bit, but overall spend about $1,500 a month all in. Wow. And so when you talk about like um, the household expenses, you're essentially cutting that in half with your partner and paying your share? Correct. And okay. if we weren't together or anything like that, a studio in Seattle costs about what I pay right now for half of this one bedroom. So that's how I'm figuring that even in the future, if anything would happen, my costs would be pretty similar. And that's if I stay in the middle of a major metropolis, which I won't need to because I won't work there. Right, right. And then you you are close to work, right? So you walk to work. So that's why you don't really have any transportation expenses. That's awesome. Yeah. And I also love walking. I do um, budget 15 bucks a month for uh, Metro Pass, which I do use sometimes or Ubers if I'm tired and don't feel like walking, but I really love walking. So that is my main transit. And now that I've gotten into, this might be a tangent, um, the JobSpotter app. Now I'm making money while walking. So it's even... <laughs> really? Wait, what is that? <laughs> oh, it's so fun. So Indeed.com has this app called JobSpotter. It's free to download and it pays you for taking pictures of hiring signs. So it turns your city into like a scavenger hunt. And I absolutely love it. And I've been making 20 or 30 bucks a month just doing that. Oh my gosh. Like that sounds like amazing. So I know we're going to put that in an episode show notes so people can start looking into that, see if it's available where they live. Yeah, it's available. Oh, sorry. It's available everywhere. I actually have a post about it too. Oh, awesome. Okay. We'll have to, you'll have to send me that so I can link it. All right. Here's what I love about your story is that you're spending what for some is like they can't wrap their head around. Right. And yes, everyone has different circumstances and responsibilities and all these things. But, you know, even in some a lot of areas, I say that I'm not against spending money at all. Right. I spend money and actually would spend more money if I had more of the means to like kind of lean more into the things that I value. But I love that this is from a perspective of like happiness and not depriving yourself. And so I always challenge people that there might be some people who are just naturally don't like need a lot and they do very well based like with these number limits. And there might be some people who are just like can't get their mind around it. But I love bringing on this perspective of someone who is truly like happy with this life and these numbers to show like maybe you won't go all the way down here, right? To that level. But purple is showing you what is possible. Now you can still have a great, great quality of life by being strategic because you did pick, you know, you moved to a lower cost of area place while still keeping the same salary. You chose to stay close to your job. So you have uh, less transportation cost. but it's possible, right? To, um, to think about ways in which you can spend less, but in a way that feels good. It's completely possible. And happiness has always been my main concern. It was never about, oh, how can I penny pinch or anything like that? So I, I really like that approach and encourage others to do so. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when it comes to like your budget categories, I like that you break out your budget uh, and you like these, they're like fixed expenses. So that's what some of us um, have, right? Most of us have these fixed expenses that are typically you can expect what they are every month. And then you have some variable expenses and you have something called changelings. Like you call it just changelings because they can fluctuate, right? But thing about budgeting is even though I put a limit around something, like you said, in your budget, like they can change. And so how do you, how do you uh, handle like uh, spur the moment things that you may want to do? Uh, like a concert that maybe comes that you want to uh, go to or 
you know, you, you spent all your money for going out with friends and then you get an invitation a few days before the month is over that would, if you went, blow your budget. Like, how do you manage that, the type, those type of changes and being spontaneous with your budget? I feel like I'm a bad example because I just do them. <laughs> um, if, for example, um, a blogger friend a few months ago texted me saying, hey, do you want to go to a lake house for the week? It costs 500. And I said, yes. So <laughs> um, I already have most of my large expenses on lock, basically, that I don't pressure myself to stick exactly to the budget. I figure it out. I use um, the budgeting software YNAV, which has one of their tenants is give every dollar a job. So if I decide to drop $500 on a lake house, I just have to find that 500 within the budget. So not by depriving myself, but just saying, oh, I actually didn't drink alcohol this month because I was doing that challenge. There's 50 bucks there and I'll move that over. Um, it's just about, I guess, having that flexibility since my large expenses are set and then I, not depriving myself. I'm a bad example. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, it's a good example because it shows that Every dollar should have a job. And so if you're going to spend and you value that, it's like, you know what? I'm going to really value that time. And so where would this money come from otherwise? And so you just, you think around what you can maybe say, ah, oh, that's not that important to me this month, or it's not that big a deal. I can do less of that so I can do more of this. Yes. And it is important to know for me what I really do want. Because for example, that lake house, that sounded awesome. I don't regret that. That was great money spent. But for example, concerts you brought up. I actually don't personally enjoy concerts. I prefer Me neither. Oh. <laughs> right? Oh, a fellow non-concert goer. Um, I, I prefer to listen with giant headphones in my house and like hear and feel the music versus in a concert I'm being jostled and beers being spilled on me and I just want to be there and listen to this artist. So that's something that I would probably say no thanks to. Right. But if it's something that I care about, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I like that, you know, Every little bit does count. So you talk about you arguing for your 401k match. And I'd like, I'd love you to go through that because there are some things in our lives right now and you're just like, ah, I don't really, um, it's such a little bit of money. It's not that big a deal. And I always say, even if it's not a lot of money for you, it's also the act. It's like the act of the skill set you are acquiring by negotiating, by advocating for yourself that can come in handy for other things. That really is the point of it. So can you talk about this 401k match debacle, like how you got your match and you fought for it? <laughs> Of course. And actually, this has a bit of history even before the match. So when I joined my company, um, I think I started to make the accounting department fear me a little bit because every time I walked in, in they're like, oh, no, what now? At first, they emailed me like, are you sure that this is the allocation you want? Did you miss a decimal point? Because I put in 62% because I was joining late in the year and I wanted to max out my 401k. I was like, nope, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then I analyzed their options and they were they have a very high fees and loads and all this. And so I actually gave a presentation to the accounting department talking about here are the costs if we move to Vanguard and how much cheaper it would be for the employees to which they retorted, but it's actually more expensive for the company. So no. Okay. I tried. So I just went along with the funds they had. And then years later decided that they were going to offer a match, which is great. And it's actually 50 bucks a month instead of a percentage of your allocation. So then I discovered that I wasn't getting that match. And of course, I struck fear into their hearts by <laughs> marching up and saying, excuse me, this isn't happening. And they looked at me a little weird because at the time there was three months left in the year. So we were 
arguing about about 150 bucks, which most people would be like, meh, but I'm not most people. So I bothered them for months until I got a true up of $150. And at the end, I was like, was this a little overkill? For But I was like, no, because that's it's a month of groceries. That's serious. So I'm continuing to strike fear in their hearts and it worked. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> okay. So, and here's the thing, right? So you're saving a lot of money and I want to talk a little bit about how you got started on this journey because in 2011, you went from having like a $5,000 net worth to now in 2019, having about what, $379,000 of- I checked yesterday. I'm going to hit 400 with my next paycheck. Amazing, right? So let's talk through that because- there are some people who are starting from zero or who have the means to like literally like in a couple of years do the same thing. But like what started you on this journey? And then I want to definitely talk, talk through like how you raised your net worth to so much in just eight years. Mm-hmm. So all credit goes to my partner, actually. He told me about financial independence two years before I got on board. So that's 2013. And then I ignored him for those two years. And I am now a success story of a partner that actually ended up listening and getting on the journey. So that's awesome. And then in in 2015, it just finally clicked for me. Like I thought, oh, I don't want to retire because what would I do? Oh, I don't want to retire because I like my job. All the normal reasons that we hear. And then it just clicked. No, I don't want to do this job forever. No, I don't love it. I have so many interests that I'm too tired to do. Let's just go for this. Like I'm starting to make an okay salary in New York. If we get out of New York, this is totally doable. So that's what I did. That's why we started that spreadsheet. That's why we moved to Seattle. And I started, as you said, with $5,000 saved out of college. And that was from high school jobs and all that stuff. And then I started making 35K my first year in New York. Next year, I made 48 and I was saving the difference, even though I was spending a lot in New York. I think I said it was around 35. But the next year, I got another job. I keep job hopping for 65. And then I got a slight raise to 68. I moved to Seattle, job hopped, got a raise to 60, or excuse me, 85. Then I moved a year later, 103. Two years later, 107. I'm projecting 110 for this year. So all those little job hops moving across the country to cut my spending in half while maintaining my standard of living. And then slowly, exponentially, my net worth kept going up. So I actually, I have all these weird charts. And one of them I was looking at yesterday showed that it took me five, almost six years to five years to go from 5,000 to 100K, but it only took me one and a half years to go from 100 to 200, 1.1 years to go from 200 to 300, and now a year to go 300 to 400. Yeah, I think there's an article, I'll try to link it and find it about just how when after you get to $100,000 invested, and mm-hmm. the compounding like just takes care of itself, like it, it happens so much faster. So for a lot of people, getting to that 100,000, that first 100k might seem like a little difficult. But once you get there, and you stay consistent, you'll see gains like so much quicker. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. And that's one of the reasons I have the description of my net worth every single year. So you can just see that it basically explodes and it's not because I'm amazing. It's just the market. Well, no, you are amazing because, (laughs) (laughs) but no, here's the thing. So your job hacking, that's, or a job like jumping around and, and, and commanding more money each time. This was all in the same field marketing. Correct. Well, 
to be so under marketing, yes, but previously I had worked at ad agencies and now I'm more under the general marketing wing, but yes. Okay. So for someone who's not earning as much as they know they can be or should be, how did you just know which jobs to pick? Which one was the next level? Was it strictly, did you look at each job as something to add on your resume to get to the next job? Were you just strictly looking at just the increase itself? I'd love to hear kind of like how you navigated what you did because so many people need to do more of this. To be honest, I get bored really easily. <laughs> so that was a major impetus for moving because once I feel like I know how to do a job, it gets boring to me. And sometimes that coincides with some weird political stuff that's happening and I'm just done. That's usually what happened. And then to make sure that I do get a higher salary at the next job, I do my research. I love um, websites like Glassdoor that give crowdsourced information on salaries by company, which is really helpful going into negotiations. And then I always told them what I wanted, which was usually 20K more than I made previously. And right in the interview process, even with the recruiter, if they say, oh, that's out of our range, I say, okay, well, thank you for your time. I'm going to move on. So I didn't waste my time with people that couldn't pay me what I was looking for or that I knew was appropriate based on the job market. Yeah, that's that's great. And it shows the importance of attacking financial freedom and independence from both angles. Well, all three, right? So there's the income part of it where you gradually make more because the more money you make, it does matter uh, as long as your expenses are reasonable and controllable where you can save and invest the rest. It's and You did all three. So you made more, you over time made more money. Then also kept your expenses for for what you value uh, reasonably low. And then you basically saved and invested. Like you knew to save and invest that difference versus, again, spending it. So that's awesome. Um, okay. So you actually mentioned your partner like is the one that got you on the journey. So I know I have a lot of people listening, journeyers listening that they're all like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. And then they maybe their partner is a little more slow to warm up to it or just they don't get it. So was it really just you coming into your own and realizing it just from your, just your own kind of aha moment? Or was there something specifically that he did that helped you get on board with everything? I actually wrote a post about this because it includes quotes, very embarrassing quotes that unfortunately Gchat has saved of me resisting <laughs> the idea of financial independence. But I think the big difference was that since we do have separate finances that he didn't put pressure on me because really he was trying to enrich my life. It wasn't because I was pulling his money in a different direction and spending while he was trying to save. We didn't have that opposition. So he just let me be. He let the idea mellow in my mind for those years. And those are the years that I needed, not just to think about it, to realize that I don't want to work forever but also, I kept thinking that if I find that dream job everyone talks about, I'll be happy and I'll never, never need to quit and I'll be happy to go to work and all that stuff. And I got my dream job and I still wanted to quit. So <laughs> that I think was a big part of it. And then I about faced, I said, okay, even the dream job is not great as much as I thought. So might as well save. I'm not doing anything else with this money. Some of it was just sitting in checking. Um, so I dove in, I read every book that I could, every blog that I could, uh, opened my first traditional IRA, and here we are. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing that you talk about is also navigating this journey with partners that are not on board or just people in your family that are more spendy. 
And so you talk about your mom being more of a spendy person, but that you guys love to travel together. And so I think it's important. So again, if you can't get your partner on board, maybe at this point, right? Like it's great that you guys keep it separate and it works for both of you guys. But for some people, their finances are completely intertwined and that's just the way it is. And they want to keep it that way. But then the person, the other person is not on board uh, in terms of the financial freedom kind of pathway. So how do you negotiate or navigate that with someone who's not on the same level with you in finances? So my mom's situation with me is a little unique, um, but I think it can help if people have partners that have vastly different incomes. She has been retired for over five years. She retired at 55. And since she's been retired that long, she's passed major milestones of sequence of return risk. Um, It's her retirement has gone better than forecast financially. So she's about to live it up. And she's always loved really luxury things, villas, all that stuff. While I'm more happy actually in an Airbnb. I like feeling like I live there instead of like I'm at a Disney World version of a city, which to each their own. Um, (laughs) But she wants me to come with her. We're travel buddies. She enjoys my, she says, like my calm energy with traveling while her husband is like pacing up and down the beach and we're trying to relax as a comparison. (laughs) He can't sit still. So she wants to go on all these basically luxury vacations and I want to stick to a pretty strict budget in my first couple years of retirement since that has risk associated with it. So what we've done is decided the few times that we will go on these more luxury vacations that she wants and then decided what percentage of it I would pay. So what we've landed on for now, and this is untested, so I'll keep you updated, but what we've landed on is that I'll pay for what I would be paying if I was going, for example, with my partner. So an Airbnb for a week in Auckland and an economy flight from the States and all that stuff, and then the additional she'll cover. And that's how we've negotiated it so negotiated it so far. Um, we'll see what happens. But my main advice there would just be keep open communication because this is a weird situation. Even if with your partner, you guys want to go on a ski trip and you have vastly different ideas of what kind of trip you want to go on. And that has financial consequences. So just being open and honest so that there's no resentment that builds so that nobody feels like they're allowing somebody to do something and just approaching this as a partnership would be my main advice. Right, right. So in terms of growing up, was your mom always like into nicer things? Did you have conversations around money growing up? We did have conversations around money, but it's funny because she has never been into nice things. It has only been vacations. And I think I exacerbated the problem, actually. Well, it's not a problem. Um, I exacerbated her love of it because I introduced her to travel rewards. So previously, she thought, oh, I want to go in those Emirates first class suites and they look amazing, but it costs $20,000. So that's wild and no one's going to spend that. So let's not do that. But now she's like, oh, I just get a couple cards and let's do this. And then while we're there, we have so much money we quote unquote saved. Let's get this nice hotel room. But growing up, yeah, she never spent money on makeup or shoes or anything. We bought our or she bought her cars based on what was most reliable and affordable. And that's really how they approached everything. They're pretty, my parents were pretty frugal growing up um, and did talk about money with us. For example, we used to get paid $1 per chore, 
But when I came to get my payday, I got 70 cents. I was like, excuse me, what happened? She's like, tax taxes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> taxes and social security. So I'm like, now when I'm older, mom, where's my payout? What's going on for social security at least? And she's like, oh, they got lost in the system. <laughs> so yeah, they instilled some pretty great um, foundational values with us. Splurge on things that really matter, which for her is now vacation and used to just basically be education for her children um, and otherwise be frugal about it. Right. Now, so did you graduate from school with any debt? I did not. I was very grateful to my parents that they paid for my schooling. And that was a discussion we had. I still feel guilt about it, but (laughs) it's what she wanted. Instead of having the debt, which she had in her past, um, I believe. And so that affected how she wanted me to live my life and not have that kind of um, weight on my foot. Yeah, it's so interesting because... You know, you there's just a lot of discussions going on, um, whether it's like in the financial freedom, independence, like community, various blogs, Facebook groups. And there are different schools of thought about like how much people are going to help their children. And some people are like, well, you know, they they didn't get the help. And so they want to help their children. Some people are like, well, they're, they're not going to take on any debt and the adult children will have to figure it out and kind of do it on their own. But I'm always amazed at some of the stories that I hear and how much like when the parent is able to, and sometimes it's not even like able because they have a lot of money, but they just sacrifice to be able to, to pay for their kid's school college, how much of a, like a head start that gives the child and, and to be like fair, you know, not every kid that gets that done for them is going to be going to take that baton and run with it. You know, like sometimes they mess up or they're not as grateful or it doesn't happen in a way where it helps them. Right. It might, more challenge them into being more entitled. But I know, right, as a mom myself, I'd love to have the opportunity to give my kids this head start where they don't have to graduate with debt. So I love hearing that, like what that, what that allowed you to do has been like really helped you on your journey to financial independence. It definitely has. And I'm grateful every day that they did that for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about your financial independence goals. So you're set to like literally reach financial independence soon. And I want to talk about the logistics of that. So right now you're investing mostly in, you're maxing out all your available retirement accounts, right? Correct. But then you're also doing taxable investing, right? Yes. So can we talk about that? Because I get a lot of questions on, all right, what happened? Like if you're trying to retire early, then where do you get the money from if some of that is locked up in retirement accounts? So walk through the plan and how you plan to get the money that you're using for your years in early retirement. Sure. So the first year, I'm actually going to already have my 18 or 20,000 saved in cash. So no need to withdraw anything, even if the market dives right after. And then after that, my plan is to have about the 5K in taxable dividends that I'll be getting auto-deposited into my account. And then for the remaining 15K, I'm going to sell stocks and then harvest the long-term capital gains. Um, And the plan there is to stay below the 15% capital gains tax bracket so that um, I don't have to pay taxes on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I'm going to be doing a Roth IRA conversion ladder up to my standard deduction, which I believe is 12 thousand dollars. I don't actually memorize those things, but so that I can slowly move money from my traditional IRA to my Roth IRA. So when my taxable account is tapped in, I think I just calculated it was about 15 years, give or take what the market does. 
then I'll have enough in my Roth that I can just take that out tax free and move over. And I'm right. Done. Now, okay, I want to break that down a little bit sure. so people can like really grasp everything because this is like a good strategy here. And typically, like this is what you're going to try and do, especially if you're not intending on. And we could talk about like your views of and wh- if you intend to try to make money, which is totally fine. I'm no retirement early retirement police. Um, <laughs> but like, so for people, right, when you're thinking about retiring early and reaching financial independence early, what you're doing in your working years is you're maxing out all your tax advantage stuff because you're getting the best bang for your buck um, in terms of taxes. But you also need to simultaneously be investing and saving in taxable accounts that you can access without any type of, you know, ding or fee or problem with the government, right? So you simultaneously have been saving into a taxable investment account that you can draw on now over the next five years without even touching your retirement accounts. Correct. But what you're also doing is something called the Roth IRA ladder, which takes like, you know, it's five years, right? Where Mm -hmm. you're slowly converting money over from your traditional IRA yes, to a Roth IRA. And you'll still pay taxes when you take that money from the Roth, but it will be based on your current tax rate, which will be so low because you're not earning a lot of money. Exactly. (laughs) So so, um, I think this is one of those things that people are always wondering, like, so what's the point? You're putting all this money in 401ks and IRAs, but if you can't touch it, then how is that helping you? Um, How do you get the money? So I think it's one of those things to talk more about so people can understand the logistics of it. Yeah. And it is complicated. Just a heads up to everyone. But after I read it like 20 times, it finally made sense. (laughs) Yeah. And so you know what, too? So the other thing is that I know for my strategy in general, like I've never intended to touch my investment money or especially the retirement money. Right. I always thought that I would build up streams of income not dedicated or relied on by a corporate job. So whether it is from my, you know, building a business or real estate or whatever that looks like, where that would help me carry us through to when we can finally touch our retirements without getting dinged. And so that is another way that people go about it. I know for you, like you said that in your, um, some of your blogs that you really don't have like an intention to like try to earn money, but you're not also going to stop yourself. So can you talk through that, what that may look like for you? Sure. Um, I'm very honest with myself that coming up on a decade of working really long hours, I am tired. (laughs) So I don't want to give myself the expectation that I'll need to start a new career or even side hustle in retirement. I want to take some serious time to get back to myself and relieve all the stress that I've had from the last decade. So that was my baseline. But looking around at other early retirees, it does seem like money sometimes just falls in their lap. (laughs) So I don't want to say that I'll never earn a dime. Maybe I see that there's a part-time librarian position open in a town that I'm living in for six months. And that sounds fun. So maybe I'll take that just as a random example. Um, So I'm not going to hold myself back from it. But my main goal is to relax and find out who I am without a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're giving yourself that kind of like leeway and permission because it's like nothing wrong with earning money. And like you said, it's so funny because again, the people who don't really need it, quote unquote, seem to always get the opportunities and the money to them it, for coming from a place of the fact that they don't need it. You know, it's like, it's like one of those things in life. And I think the skill set and things you've done to create financial independence for you makes you very marketable in any, like, you know, you have so much skills now that I feel like you just can't help sometimes but make money 
because of just it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of discipline to do what you're doing and to not be able to earn money. It's like almost feels like that probably wouldn't even be natural because there's so many ways to earn money with those skills. There is, including job spotting. So I basically got <laughs> right. it made. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you plan to like do, right? Like, cause that's like one of those things where, you know, like sometimes people say when they're not working or it's summertime, right? You have a tendency to spend more money because like you have more time, right? When you're at your job, at least you're not spending money. You're like working. How do you plan to like keep yourself busy? Is there a fear on being bored? Cause you said you get bored often. Like what's your overall plan for that? Sure. And I should clarify, I get bored of jobs often. <laughs> I actually don't get bored often. I absolutely love just reading on my couch for hours on end or walking around the city and accidentally making money also for hours on end. So in retirement, and I'm looking to my mom, as I mentioned, she retired about five years ago. And she was my inspiration for actually saying, do we need to retire to something? <laughs> Which is an often quoted, you have to retire to something, not from something. I get it. Don't just leave your job, but have something to look forward to, to do, to know what your next life stage is going to be like. She has it and <laughs> she's completely fine. She walks four miles about every other day. She learns Spanish. She figures out how to get our next trip airline miles. She just lives her life pretty normally as before, but just without the work component. And yet she still says, oh no, I didn't get to this and all that. So I'm not actually worried about my boredom level or retiring to something specific like a new quote unquote career. But for me specifically, I want to travel. That's some one thing that I feel a little trapped in my job, even though I am remote, there are limits to how much I can travel and be away from my computer at typical work hours. So there's so much I want to see in the world. And just doing that and being fully present and also planning where I'm going next, I feel like that's already a full-time job. And then um, I do want to keep up my weekly posting on my job, or excuse me, I want to keep up my weekly posting on my blog indefinitely. So that's also another job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with photography and documenting the world around me. So that's another one. So I have all these little things that I want to do, a pile of 100 books I want to read, so many beaches to go and lounge on. I'm going to be busy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome. And when you uh, are thinking about giving up this safe paycheck and then, you know, living this life that you just described, what are your plans on being flexible for just any changes, right? Because your mind can change and the markets can change. And so that's one of the things people talk about who have some criticism of people who reach financial independence and retire early. It's just like, all right, but what about if the market crashes? You're so young, you're giving up all these earning years. So what do you say to that? And how do you plan on navigating changes to the market or changes to what you want to do in life? So I have a couple of levers that I can pull. Um, the very baseline one is that, as I mentioned, I spend about 18K a year, and that's in living in the middle of a metropolis, which I'm not going to need to do in the future. Um, but even on top of that, so kind of using the 4% rule as a baseline, 25 times 18 is 450, but I'm including a 10% buffer on top of that. That's how I got my 500K goal to retire on. So already I have a little bit of cushion built in there. And then also I'm lucky that the preferences I have seem to lend itself to a lower spending. So for example, I don't actually want to personally own a house. I don't 
want to own a car. I'm from Atlanta. I'm over cars. <laughs> um, I am not having children. I also do not personally want to own a pet. If I want some dog snuggles, I just go to one of my many friends and hang out there, offer some free pet sitting. It works out really great. <laughs> so because of all of those reasons, pick up and move on a dime. And that's already built into my plan and all of the travel aspects. But for example, you mentioned that the market tanks, I can move to a beach in Mexico and then spend almost half of what I normally do and still have the same standard of living. I'm on a beach sipping margaritas and spending half. <laughs> so that's one way that I'm planning to be flexible geo-arbitrage. And that's already even built into my plan. I just might move from going to Ireland for that month to Mexico, for example. And then similarly, because of that travel, I am planning to have medical tourism be part of my life. So when I'm in Mexico, they actually have amazing dentists down there. I had no idea. I've been doing research on that. They're usually trained in the States actually and moved down there. So I'll be, if I have some extensive dental work that I need done, I'll do that while I'm on the beach in between margaritas. I'm kidding. There will be no margaritas. <laughs> so the kind of flexible spending there. And then also we were talking about how money sometimes falls in your lap. So I'm not averse to getting that part-time librarian job somewhere or offering myself as a VA to some of my blogger friends. Like there, as you said, are a million ways to make money. So if I need to, if the cutting my spending by moving doesn't work as well as I want, make a little extra money, maybe bartend on the weekends at that Mexican beach, you know, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And then as you were, as you're talking, I do want to just say for people just understanding some of the language here about the 25 times rule. So typically take how much you intend or want to spend in your financial independence, retired early years. So multiply that number by 25. So that's what you do to get to your ultimate kind of financial independence number based on a 4% withdrawal rate. So for example, if you're going to spend 18,000, so 18,000 times 25 is 450, $450,000. So based on multiplying that $450,000 by 4%, you get to draw down on your portfolio every year about $18,000, including inflations and return on that money to be able to sustain your lifestyle. So as you can see, it's a direct correlation in how much you want to spend in financial independence and how much you need to save and invest. And so for those of you, if you're like more like me, who like I plan and intend to, to spend a lot more than 18,000, we would need a lot more than 450,000 to kind of reach a full, complete financial independence number. So just something to think about as you start thinking about what your numbers may start looking like. Now you did something really cool. You have set a date that you are going to have to like pull the trigger on financial independence by. So can you talk about how you kind of set that up? and what that looks like and what that date is so we can kind of keep track of you and uh, <laughs> see, <laughs> hopefully it will happen and see that you pull the trigger. Sure. Actually, the date is one year from this recording today. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it's slowly been creeping up after we had an announcement of when FinCon will be next year. So that changed my date a little bit um, uh, to yeah. be up before FinCon. But the reason I originally had a countdown is because I thought that I would be a serious candidate for one more year syndrome, which is the idea that you keep saying, I'll just work one more year to be more safe with your retirement. Despite all the job hopping, I'm a pretty cautious person, actually. So I thought I would be in the vicious cycle of, oh, one more year. And so I set that date as like, nope, if I have the money that I'm looking for at this date, I'm gone. 
Um, and then to drive that home, instead of just having a random countdown on my blog, I planned and I'm currently planning a trip with my mom to Australia and New Zealand for right after I retire, right after the next FinCon as kind of a stock app. Like this is happening. So I guess I have to quit or tell my boss I'm going on a couple months sabbatical. I can come back if you want, which probably won't work out. (laughs) (laughs) So just having that end in sight has helped me also mentally because on a hard day, I'll be like, okay, well, I'm getting yelled at by clients, but just one more year of this. And then I might still be getting yelled at by someone, but maybe it'll be that bartender on the beach. Like, <laughs> it'll be different. <laughs> that's why I set it up. And uh, we're analyzing right now, actually, if that's something we want to do based on my current net worth. I mentioned I'm about to hit 400K and then projected savings for the rest of the year, which it looks like I'll save at least 26,000 more next year, assuming no raises, which might happen, we'll see, um, should save 50K before I have to pull that trigger. So without the market doing anything, I'll already be up to, what, uh, 476? Right. Already over my actually 25 times, but not up to the full buffer amount that I wanted. So if the market even returns like 5%, I'm at 500K and I'm ready to go. So it's looking pretty good right now. (laughs) Right. So I have to just ask you this, not that I would wish this on you or anyone because it would affect all of our portfolios. But if there is a crash or something that happens, is there something that's external that would cause you to say, okay, I'll I'll keep working for this additional year? Like what if the market kind of dips right before or how are you looking at that? I'm looking at it in an evolved fashion. (laughs) So (laughs) I previously have, I've written out my investment plan. Like if this happens, I do this. If this happens, I do that. Um, And it said that if the market drops and I don't actually hit my number, then I figure out a remote work situation, even either with my current job or I get a new one saying, Hey, I'm traveling, but I'll work and do your marketing for you, which I've actually set up an alert um, at, there are many remote job only forums. I had no idea Um, So I have them sending me weekly job postings specifically in marketing, and there's a lot of them. So I'm feeling more confident in that plan as a backup. But now, and after talking to everyone in our community, including yourself, I'm actually feeling strangely confident. (laughs) So I might just straight up quit anyway. I won't be retired. I won't have uh, hit my financial independence number, but I'll be a happy, fun, employed person trying to figure out ways to make a little bit of money in ways that are enjoyable to me. So I'm being brainwashed into possibly making the leap (laughs) without having everything in my uh, parachute. But yeah, it's evolving. Yeah. And you also do have that and why it's so important to have things outside of probably um, just the markets, right? Like that cash cushion that was not as volatile to the market changes. And so that's that's amazing. Um, so in general, what are some last thing words or advice you can give for someone listening who is this is their dream? And they don't have to be, you don't have to be in your 20s if you're listening, maybe you're a little bit older, but you're like, you know what? I want to do this too. I want to set a date 10 years from now, five years from now to make this happen for myself and quit this job or change jobs or just reach financial independence so I can have options. What would you say they should be, they should just start doing right now after they listen to this podcast episode? I think they should look at their life and decide how they can do exactly what they want. Don't be afraid to be weird. Don't be afraid to say no to a concert ticket. If what you actually want to do is go to a lake house, 
look at your spending, look at where you want to go and figure out how to get there in the most enjoyable way possible. Mm, yeah, it's awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Purple. I was just so um, nice to talk to you and learn more about your story. So tell people where they can find more about and catch up on what you're doing and then root for you for this uh, date that you have next year to quit your job. <laughs> so exciting. You can find me at my blog, apurplelife.com. I'm also on Twitter way too much at a purple life blog. Hit me up. Yay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with a purple life. I was truly inspired by just listening to her journey, how she has made a way for herself, how she is so committed to reaching her goals. And I love the fact that she set a date in the future that she has to follow up on and she has to come through on whether it's going to be, yes, she can retire early or not. Like she's setting this date in advance. And so how many of us can really set ourselves up for success if we give ourselves a deadline? And it's not a deadline that we can push back. It's a deadline we have to meet. So I hope you got a lot from this episode. Again, if you want any of the episode show notes, go to journey to launch dot com slash episode 126. There you get more links about some of the blog posts that we mentioned for a purple life and some other resources that can help you. Again, follow me on social media. I'm at journey to launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I love hearing what you took away from the episode. I love when you're sharing it with other people. This is how we get the podcast out there, guys. This is how we grow. And I will obviously, if I can, respond to if you send me a message and repost it. So I love seeing that. Again, I am so grateful to have you here with me on this journey. Remember, tell a friend to tell a friend to get this message more out there so that other journeyers, they don't even know they're journeyers yet, but they really are, get to understand what is possible for them. Don't keep all this great information to yourself. All right? All right. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.